Yes, 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 yes. So right now, while we're in this don't stop celebrating, keep the energy because right now, just like we were just singing, is God is doing miracles in this room right now. And the greatest and most significant miracle that anybody can ever experience is encountering Jesus Christ and actually having the Spirit of God come and dwell and live on the inside of you. That is the beginning of everything. That is the start of everything. So right now, as we're celebrating and we were singing, there's miracles happening in this room. If you have questioned, if you've been searching, If there's any part of you that maybe you feel I'm not sure, or maybe at one time you did, but you've been on a journey and it's taken you away. And I love what Darren says. He says, you can take a thousand steps away from God, but it only takes one to get right back to him. So what I'm talking about is giving your heart to God. It's very, very simple. There's no, like, you can't do it wrong. All you have to do, and you don't even have to pray in Elizabethan English. How about that? You can just simply say, God, I repent. I'm asking for the resurrection of Jesus Christ to come and to cleanse me of my past. All of the things, all of the turns that I took that were not the direction that you wanted me to go. All of the hurts, all of the pain, all of the regret, the shame, and the guilt from my past. Jesus You died on the cross for all of that to be washed away, that I could repent and that everything would be washed clean and that I could come before God completely spotless, completely innocent and filled with the love and the hope of your spirit. That is the great exchange. When you come to God, you give him all of the yuck, you give him all of the hopelessness, you give him the depression, you give him the failures, you give him everything, and in return, he gives you his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to come and live on the inside of you. Is that possible anywhere else? Is that possible with anyone else? No. How does it happen? I don't know. It's a miracle. It is a miracle. I can't give you the A plus B equals C on it. All I can tell you is you ask for it and you get it. It's as plain and simple as that. So I'm going to invite you right now, everyone in the room, whether you've done this before, whether you haven't, whether you're doing it for the first time, I'm inviting you just to put your hands on your heart And all of you who have made this decision and done this before, I'm asking you to infuse the environment right now. Push the Holy Spirit through you. And right now, if you've never made that decision, or you're that person who made that decision back in Sunday school or somewhere at a church service or sometime in your car, but man, life's path has taken you in a place where you feel like you're so far away from God right now, Right now, you're taking that one step and you are right back in the lap of your father. And then there's those that you just need to redo this this morning because you just need to know. I need to know that I know that I know. So right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, in your heart, and I actually want to invite you to do this like 
even if it's just in a whisper, I want to invite you just to say, Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, come into my heart. And whatever your words, if there's words that are coming to you, you speak those words. You can't do it wrong. And I want you just to hear this. Jesus, forgive me of all of my sin. Forgive me for all of the choices that I've made that took me the opposite direction of your best for me. All of the choices that I've made that I was running from your love. And today, in the name of Jesus, I'm running to you, God. I turn, I want you just to picture right now what that would be. Just cast, like people have had, you've got weights. I say weights, you've got like baggage. And some of you got big baggage. Man, guys, life does that to us. We've all had big baggage. I want you right now to just envision yourself. Just I'm seeing like this backpack that's like bigger than an actual person. And whoever that is, I just want you to envision yourself right now just pulling those straps off. Just pull those straps off. And I see you just running free in this beautiful green field with no hindrance, no weight, nothing holding you back. And you're just running in freedom. And this is freedom for you. God is freedom. The Bible tells us that whom the Son has set free, whom the Son makes free, is free indeed. What he means there when he says free indeed, he says free shown up. That's what that means. So right now, anybody who is making that decision for the first time, we here believe that that is something that you should be super proud of. Not only that, we also believe that we are family and that you don't ever have to walk alone. Once you come into the family of God, you don't ever walk alone again. So if you are making that decision for the very first time, or today you are doing that because life has taken you on a path and you're coming back, or today is the day that you're just, I need to know that I know. If that is you, I want to invite you just to stick your hand boldly and proudly up in the air right now. Just stick it up. There we go. There we go. Yes. I want you to hear people clapping and celebrating because they're celebrating you. They are celebrating your decision. This is something out of all of the things that we can't control in our world right now. This is absolutely and completely in your control. You control this. You control. I just changed my future from getting whapped about and jerked about to over here where I've got a path and it's solid and nothing, nothing and no one can steal that from me. What I just did can never be taken away from me in Jesus name. So I want you right now, if you would turn around and tell someone nothing and no one can ever take God away from me. Nothing and no one can ever take God away from me in Jesus name. Thank you water. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Nothing and no one. How about that? How about that action? Thank you. Amen. (laughs) Yes. Somebody's going to get in it with me, man. Oh man. Welcome to fall. Finally, finally here in Colorado, we are getting some cool weather this morning. Woo! 
Ooh, it's nice. Yes, yes. <laughs> Sweater weather. <laughs> Yay. We want to welcome you. We know that we've welcomed you already, but thank you so much to our online family for being with us this morning. We are so glad to have you here, and we are thankful that you are part of our online community. Um, you are part of the house. Can we just welcome the, all, all of our online family? Yeah. We're glad that you guys are tuning in with us today. Uh, my name is Lynette. If I've never got to shake your hand before and introduce myself to you, I uh, would love to at some point just be able to meet you and say hi. Hey, you guys, we have a good looking crew in here today. Look at the person next to you and go, hey, thanks for being good looking today. Thanks for being so good looking today. And if you are single and they are single and you would like to go get pie after church, give them a little wink like that. And if you would like to go get pie in return, give them a little wink back. If there's someone across the room that you think, wow, I should have sat next to them. You're free to get up and go and move right now if you would like to. I'm here to help you out. I believe in divine connection with my help and service. It's good. It's good. People say you should not go to church to meet people or to like find a find a mate or whatever. I know. What the heck? Where are you looking? I'm just telling you right now, if you're just hanging out in the bread aisle at the store waiting, it's going to be a long time. Okay. Unless you are divinely led to stand in front of the wonder at a particular time in a particular moment, then yes, by all means do it. I, I am a huge proponent. I totally think you should meet people here because that means that you're going to stay here and have babies. And I think that after you're married, that's a message for another time. But I think we have the best looking kids here at N3C. Man almighty, we got good looking kids here at N3C, right there. Uh huh. The cheeks are turning red. He's like, oh, stop looking at me. <laughs> I won't look at you anymore, okay? All right. Okay. Anyway, uh, let's, let's have church. Hey, and I want to say this there are a lot of new people, new faces. I love all these new faces. And here is what I want to share with you. This is what came to me earlier this week is with a lot of new people coming in. It's very easy for those of you who are, who call this your home, that this is where you go, that if we have new people coming in, we need to demonstrate to them that we have fun and that we believe that God is fun and he has a sense of humor and that it's not a sin to laugh in church. That's totally okay. So here's what I need the N3C family to do. I need you guys to not be a thermometer. I need you to be a thermostat. Okay? So I need you to set the temperature in the room so that all of those people who are new coming in realize, okay, this is what this is what this family is about. If you have somebody come to your house for dinner and um, they eat with their hands, but everybody else in your house, we eat with a fork, 
We don't want to make them feel uncomfortable because they're eating with their hands, but we also want to show them, hey, here's what a fork is for. <laughs> so see these two hands? Hey, yes. Amen. That's what these two hands are for. It's not for sitting here or for this. Okay. It's for, it's for like, yes, because if I hear nothing from you, I go home thinking they didn't get it. I didn't do it right. So help me out. Okay. <laughs> Yes. All right. So we're going to continue our conversation. If you're here for the first time, you're not missing out on anything. You're going to be able to just jump right in. We're going to continue our conversation on revival and revival. I've used several different, uh, different ways to define it or to explain it. Some of you may have heard the word revival before. And if you're like me growing up, revival was an event, a week long event that took place at church. And you had to go every night. You didn't get to watch Disney on Sunday night. You had to go to church and you had to be there and somebody needed to get saved every night or else we couldn't go home. So Someone would finally give it him like, all right, I'll take one for the team and I'll go to the front so that we could all go home. So that's what revival was growing up as it was a scheduled thing on the calendar at church here. What we want to talk about is we want to take revival and put it into a different context. Revival in God's perspective and from the kingdom perspective is not meant to be something that has a beginning and an end. Revival is meant to be something that is sparked and continues on and never stops. And as a matter of fact, the way that God does things is when God does things, he multiplies it and he grows it. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. So revival, we started in the very first week, we talked about uh, Ezekiel. And Ezekiel being in the Valley of Dry Bones, we were just singing about it in the song. And if you haven't heard this before, that is from scripture. It's a story from the Old Testament, and it is a historical account. And God takes Ezekiel to a Valley of Dry Bones, and God asks Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? And God is showing him this huge valley, and Ezekiel's response is, Lord, you know. And we started with that the very first week because God speaks to Ezekiel and he says, prophesy. He's saying, speak, declare as I give you the words, prophesy to these dry bones and they will live. And that whole valley of dry bones came together, flesh came on them and they lived. So the very first week, what we talked about is that revival starts with one. That one man, Ezekiel, God showed him, if you prophesy to an entire valley of dry bones, they will come to life. Life will come into them. And every one of us has areas or we have walked through seasons and times in our life that feels very dry. We feel like maybe there's some dead places there. Maybe your hope, maybe your marriage, maybe uh, friendships, maybe your relationship with God, maybe church, maybe the Bible feels very dry. This is where God is saying it is one person encountering the heart of God, having an experience with the heart of God and that one person having that encounter, having an experience with the heart of God, a revival begins on the inside of them. That is the personal revival. It is that personal uh, breath of God coming in that, that breathed into Adam, that God breathed the breath of life into Adam, that when we have that encounter, when I say an encounter, I mean like, woo, you can't, you can't deny that was God. 
And when that happens, it ignites and sparks something on the inside of a human being that otherwise is impossible. That can only be done by God. God is the only one that can do that. So as we've been talking, we have been over the past several weeks, been discussing personal revival and I don't know about you. I, I don't know. And thinking back, I don't know if we have really made clear how that starts. I told the story about Pastor Darren praying and him beating on his chest and saying, I want personal revival. And I want to give you something today that is so simple. If you're sitting and asking, okay, I hear personal revival, but how, how do we do that? I want to give you something so simple today that you're going to be able to be like, oh, yeah, okay. So you ready for just the simple of it, just the easy of it? If you have your Bibles, if you want to look here very quickly, I'm going to reference this scripture in Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 18. Jesus is speaking, and when Jesus talks a lot, he talks in stories, and what the Bible calls parables. And the reason that Jesus does that is because he's taking something that was very familiar to the culture, to the people of that day. What was huge for the people in that day was agriculture. I mean, they grew all of their food. They, they were very familiar with the earth. They knew the seasons. They knew growing. They were farmers. They were agriculture people. So a lot of the parables that Jesus uses has to do with growing and dirt and farming and seasons. So we're going to jump right in to one of Jesus' famous parables. And very simply, he says here in Luke 13, 18, and this is out of the New King James, he says, what is the kingdom of God like? So he's trying to tell them, how can I explain to you what the kingdom of God is like so that you will understand? And this is what he comes up with. He says, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden and it grew and became a large tree and the birds of the air nestled in its branches. So what Jesus is telling them there is he's saying the kingdom of God, something so huge can be likened and compared to what would be one of the smallest of seeds, the mustard seed. And he's saying that the kingdom of God is like this seed because the way that the kingdom works is it starts with a very small thing, a very small moment And when planted into the soil, and the soil in the Bible a lot of times is representing the heart. So when that seed is planted into the heart of a man, when that seed is planted into the soil, it grows and produces one of the largest trees, and a lot of life comes and finds shelter. It comes and finds protection. It finds peace within the branches of that large tree. So he's saying the kingdom of God is like this. Jesus is saying, I'm trying to explain something that is so huge to you, but make it super simple for you. So what he's wanting them to understand is the kingdom, although very, very big, the way the kingdom works is it will take something that seems so small and so insignificant to us. And God, when it is offered up to God, when it is sown in our heart, God takes that very small thing that we may think is insignificant and he will grow it and use it to multiply and produce exponentially in our life if we will steward that seed. 
that one little thing. So he gives several examples of this in the Bible. Um, uh, in the, it's in, it's in all of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but twice Jesus multiplies bread and fish. There's huge crowds of people that gather around Jesus. Thousands, literally thousands of people have gathered around in these two instances, gathered around Jesus, and they realize that they don't have food. I love the disciples because they are people after my own heart. If we're going to have a gathering, we need to have refreshments, okay? There has to be food there. This is the way the disciples were. If we're going to have good fellowship, that has to happen over food. Good fellowship cannot happen if there's not good food involved. Can I get an amen on that? Okay, thank you. So the disciples are like freaking out. We don't have food to feed everybody. Well, what would seem very insignificant and almost foolish, they take just a few loaves of bread, a few, less than 10 in both instances, and they take just a few fish and Jesus prays over them, puts them into the hands of his disciples. Catch that. Jesus doesn't do it. Jesus prays over it puts it into the hands of his, a disciple is very simply a follower. If you follow, if you read your Bible, you study, you like to come to church, you're a disciple. You're a follower of Jesus. So Jesus prays, puts it into the hands of his disciples and the disciples distribute to thousands of people what started out to be very insignificant and very small. What would actually seem if a little boy came and, and brought one, one little loaf of wonder, you know, that, that guy that's hanging out in the bread aisle looking for his wife, <laughs> brings this one little loaf of wonder to Darren and brings one little catfish, catfish, right? Okay. Catfish to Darren and says, here, you can feed everybody in the church with this. That would seem almost silly, right? He would be like, bless your heart. <laughs> You're so cute. <laughs> you must be an N3C kid. You're so cute, but you don't know nothing. No. Okay. Anyway, it would seem foolish, but when we take what is very small and what may seem insignificant and offer it to God, the way that the kingdom works is God takes what we offer up to him and he makes it more than enough. In both of those instances in the gospels, there's, it's in Ma, uh, Mark 6 and again in Mark 8, if you want to read about them. But in both instances, the scripture tells us that they had to go afterwards and gather up all the leftovers and the fragments that were left over. And it tells how many baskets they gathered up. It wasn't like he said, and I don't know if you come to eat at my house, this is the way I always do. I always make too much because I don't ever want there to be not enough. I don't want any guest in my house to feel like, wow, I'd really like to have another helping of that, but I'm afraid there won't be enough. I get that from God. <laughs> because God always is a God of more than enough, more than enough. God multiplies what we offer to him and he makes it more than enough. So I would like for us to look in the book of Acts. 
The book of Acts is the next book after the Gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the book of Acts. And what happens after the Gospels, the Gospels is the story and all of the history of when Jesus was born and walked on the earth. Then, and it's told, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are each written by four different people, and each one of them is telling their a uh, personal account of their walking with Jesus during that time. So then you get to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is what happens next in history after Jesus was crucified on the cross. After Jesus was crucified on the cross, he was buried and in three days was resurrected. And before he ascended into heaven, he spent time walking on earth with his disciples, with his followers. So before he went to be seated at the right hand of the father, he was like, you know, it would be super cool because like I'm Jesus and I can do this. I could just walk through some walls and really freak people out. So he liked to do that. So the book of Acts is the account of his disciples gathering together and waiting because Jesus said, I want you to gather together in this place that I'm telling you, and there's going to be something that happens and I want you to go there and I want you to wait for it. Well, after they all went there and waited for it, the book of Acts is the historical account of everything that happened Well, not everything. We get some of it. It would take volumes and volumes from all of eternity to account for everything. But it is the historical accounts of what happened through the hands of the disciples as they began the church. That is where the church started. And I love the way that it's written is that you and I, the book of Acts doesn't have an end. You and I are still the book of Acts. We are doing the acts of the disciples of God. Amen? So that's where we're going to pick up here in the book of Acts in chapter 2. This is after Jesus has ascended, and he tells everybody to gather together because basically what he's saying is he's saying, y'all, there's going to be something super cool that's going to happen, and you're not going to want to miss it, so don't leave. Go and gather together in this upper room, and when you do... Something awesome is going to happen. So Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation, and it starts in verse 1, and he says this. On the day Pentecost was being fulfilled, all the disciples were gathered in one place. Suddenly, they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering, it was all anyone could bear. Then all at once, a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. It separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them. They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages they had never learned. This was what, when you hear the uh, the word, the day of Pentecost. This is what happened on that day in the upper room. You hear um, there is a, a, a denomination, the Pentecostal denomination. It's based upon this event, this happening right here. This was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to the followers of God. Now, what I want to point out to you here is it says that the spirit of God came into the room and went to each one of them and they were engulfed with fire, but they were not burned. So it, it was okay. It, 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 I'll tell you the end of the story. It was okay. 
So it, the, it says that the fire came into the room. What's amazing, God is so intentional and so purposeful with everything that he does. If you go back generations before, the Hebrew people, God's people, were held captivity and in slavery in Egypt. And when God led his people out of Egypt, he led them through the wilderness into what God had said to them was his promised Land. He said, I am going to take you out of bondage and out of slavery. I am going to take you on a journey. And when you reach the other side of this wilderness, there is a promise that I have waiting for you. And it is the land that I have given you to occupy. It is your place of blessing. It is my it is, it is, it is your inheritance. It is the heritage that I'm giving to you. As they were going on that journey, they were led by a pillar of fire through the wilderness. They were all these thousands. I can't remember how many thousands of people were led across the wilderness. Millions, lots y'all three million more than the wonder bread aisle can feed. Okay. So They were trekking across there and all of these 3 million people were led by one pillar of fire. But here on the day of Pentecost, because there was one offered up to God, Jesus, when the one was offered up to God, what we got in return was the multiplication and now There was a pillar of fire, a personal pillar of fire that came to each one of them. Jesus could only be in one place at one time. We saw that when Lazarus died and Mary and Martha got super ticked off at him because he wasn't there because Jesus could only be in one place at one time because he was a man. But what Jesus did that the people didn't understand at that time, they wanted him to come and redeem. They wanted him to come and set the government right. They wanted him to come and wreck the Roman rule and establish them as the leaders. But see what Jesus was doing is he was establishing a kingdom and a government that far exceeded anything that the earthly government could ever do. And when the Holy Spirit came that day and settled to each one of them as a personal pillar of fire, what God was saying is, I am giving this to you as proof And as evidence so that you will never doubt that you have been called my child, that you are free and the power that is on the inside of you is greater than any power that will ever be around you. That is the way that God does things. He took the one and multiplied it to be more than enough for everyone. So if you look in verse four in the passion translation, I love the way that it says it. What happened when the Holy spirit came was that people were filled. They were equipped. They were inspired and they were empowered. There is a uh, certain people that would <laughs> really major on the speaking in tongues is speaking in tongues. Part of being filled, empowered with the Holy Spirit? Yes, it is. It is an evidence. It is not the evidence. It is part of it. It is available to you. Every person who has the Holy Spirit on the inside of them 
can pray in tongues. It is an evidence. It is not the only. Because what we see here is what the Holy Spirit did was that he filled, he equipped, he inspired, and empowered. That is the thing about Holy Spirit, is that Holy Spirit comes to fill us where there seems to be no hope, Holy Spirit is hope. Where there seems to be no peace, Holy Spirit is peace. When we don't know the way, Holy Spirit is our guide. When we don't know what the truth is, Holy Spirit is truth. The Holy Spirit on the inside of us, it's, he's, he's like that eternal compass. He's always going to lead you in the right path. He's always going to communicate to you the truth in perfect order. Holy Spirit is perfect in everything that he does. Why? Because it's the spirit of God. How does the spirit of God live on the inside of us? It's a mystery. I don't know. But it's super cool. That's all I can tell you. Like there is even, even being married, your spouse's spirit does not dwell in you. The only way we ever experience that miracle is with God. It's only God. And it's amazing. It's just so good. It's so good. So what else happened on that day? Um, Verses 6 through 12, there were crowds of people that gathered together because this was quite an event. And the crowds of people, it says that they were stunned, bewildered, amazed, and astonished. When you witness, when you watch the Holy Spirit minister to somebody, when you watch someone encounter the spirit of God in love and in power, it's like, wow. It, I love to watch it. I, one of my most favorite things, I don't, it's hard for me to know whether I love watching someone get born again or being filled with the Holy Spirit, encountering Holy Spirit. It's a really big toss up for me because when the spirit of God just comes and rests in someone and that, that stirring happens in them, they experience God's love and his power in a way that they never have. You guys, oh, oh, it's, it, it is, it, it bewilders you. It amazes you and it astonishes you. So when that happens, of course, in verse 13, when Holy Spirit pours out, there are other people watching. And it says of those people that those poked fun in the Passion Translation, that's the way it's put. In other translations, it says that they were mocking and that they ridiculed. That is a sign of revival. <laughs> there are going to be people who don't like it. Because how many of you know when uh, that person, and maybe that person is you at work that is super productive and always has everything done and is always doing everything with excellence that the people who don't do excellence really despise that person who does. Like you make us look really bad. I remember growing up, my little brother, I was the kid who was super not rebellious. I did everything my parents told me to do. My brother was a super free spirited person. 
And he told me later on, he said, you ruined it for me when I was a kid. You never did anything wrong, right? That's the way some people will look at revival because they will see what they cannot control and what they do not understand. And I will tell you this, there will always, always, always be certain elements and things with God that you cannot explain. There's a scripture that tells us that there is a peace that surpasses all understanding. All understanding. All understanding. That means that in order for you to walk in peace in your relationship with God and embrace all that he has for you, you are going to have to surrender your insistency to understand and intellectualize everything that he does. God functions beyond our reasoning. Why does he heal blind eyes? I don't know. Why does he grow limbs? I don't know. How does, I don't know. Have I seen it? Yep. How did that happen? I don't know. It's God. But watching it happen, I have watched limbs grow out, pressed hips up against the wall and a foot like this grow out right in front of my eyes. How does that happen? God. I have surrendered my right or my insistency to understand, therefore, whatever God's doing, I have peace with it. Because it's God, and it's going to be cool. So I'm in. Whatever it is, I'm in. We have had opposition as a church. The funniest. There's, you know, there's uh, fun little rumors that travel around. My favorite was that we are wackadoo spirit-filled people and that we are snake handlers. The reason that that is so funny to me is because if you have been around my husband for five minutes, you know that there is no way that he's doing a whole snake thing at all, ever. He's not a snake person. We were looking for a house when we were house hunting. We went walking around at a, in a, at a house in the backyard and a snake went across the path. I'm not joking. Nope. That was his, and he went to the car. Nope. Don't want this one. Cause there was one snake in the backyard. Nope. <laughs> he was out. There are just some very interesting things that people have said about us as a church because we believe in the fullness of God. If you believe in God and you believe in Jesus, you must therefore believe in Holy Spirit. You cannot have the salvation of Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit. They come together. They're, it's, it's called the Trinity, not the dynamic duo. It's the Trinity. But see, the thing of it is, is just as good. See, now I'll tell you, growing up, I knew God was God. And he sat somewhere on a big fancy chair in heaven. I knew Jesus was Jesus. And he looked like this and held a sheep under his arm 
on the felt board in Sunday school. And he's the one who came into my heart. But we didn't talk about Holy Spirit a whole lot. So I really didn't understand Holy Spirit. He was kind of a mystery. And therefore, because he was a mystery, he seemed a little bit unfamiliar to me. But I remember very clearly the first time I encountered Holy Spirit. When you encounter Holy Spirit, everybody's experience is different because God doesn't love us all the same. He loves us uniquely. So he encounters you uniquely. The way that he communicates with you is going to be unique. The way he communicates with me is the way you experience him, the way you feel him, the way you hear him, the way he talks to you, the way he talks to someone else, all very unique because he made you as individuals. So he speaks to you as individuals. It's the same with our children. We don't, we don't treat our children exactly the same because they're different. Lord knows they're so very different. (laughs) Same the way that God, God, the father parents us individually. So Holy Spirit speaks to us individually. So the very first time that I am aware that I encountered Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit encountered me, my response and my, all I could do in that was weep. I just began weeping and I could not stop weeping. I will be honest. It made me a little uncomfortable because I was around other people who were not weeping and they were looking at me like, why are you weeping? I don't know, but I can't stop. All I knew is that there was something happening on the inside of me that was bigger than what I could control. I could not stop it. And there was a part, there was a part of me. I was, I was very, very, I was never, ever, ever, ever late to a class all through junior high, high school and college, because if you're late, people look at you when you walk in. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) God's funny. So I was weeping and people were looking at me and I was aware that they were looking at me, but there was a part of me that thought they're all looking at me, but more so I was so overwhelmed by the goodness of what was happening to me. I was in high school and golly, don't we all remember high school? I would not go back. And what happened to me in that moment, I didn't understand. I just knew it was bigger than anything I had ever felt before, had ever sensed before. And I didn't want it to stop. But what was so precious, that seed that was deposited on the inside of me in that moment, in that experience, that was when I was 17 years old. It wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I had another encounter. And it was because I spent a lot of energy and a lot of effort running from what I had encountered. But in all of my running and in all of my decisions and everything that I did to try and ignore it, to try and quiet it, 
the experience that I had, I could no longer do whatever I wanted to do and not feel a conviction about it. Grant you, it wasn't guilt and it wasn't shame and it wasn't condemnation. It was conviction. And all of the decisions and the choices that I made in going this direction in my early 20s, that encounter again, that seed had never left. It was still there. And it was still as alive and as vibrant as the day that I stood weeping with God. Just overwhelmed. And I remember sitting on the floor of a hotel room with a gentleman that my friends and I had just met and him praying and learning that that was the Holy Spirit. Because again, my reaction in that moment was to weep. And him explaining to me, that is the Holy Spirit. He is power. It is the power of all of heaven, all of creation on the inside of you. That excited me. I wanted, I didn't know what all of that meant. I didn't understand the fullness of it. All I knew is that I wanted more of that because everything that I had been searching for in those years that I spent doing everything else, nothing, nothing compared to what I was experiencing in that moment. Nothing compared with that. I never lost the seed. The seed never left. There have been numerous occasions since uh, Darren and I were married. One of the most beautiful uh, meetings and just environments of Holy Spirit that I've ever been in was the meeting that uh, I met Darren. It was a minister's conference, and we were all gathered together. And uh, the last night of the conference, there was just such a beautiful presence in the room. And everyone was ministering to everyone. It was the first time that I had experienced the weight of God. Uh, The Bible says that there is an exceedingly great weight of glory. And there is actually a physical weight of the presence of God at times. That it feels so heavy that you cannot stand. Um, Sometimes people respond to the weight of glory by, by falling out in the floor. Sometimes they just need to sit down. I went through a season where every time I was experiencing the presence of God, I would fall out on the floor. Then I went through a season where every time I was experiencing the presence of God, I would stand and I was given a word that I was to be a pillar in the temple. And I, I wondered, honestly, I thought, am I not experiencing God? Is, is, the, is the power of God not as strong on me because I'm not, I'm not feeling that weight and, and going out under his presence, going down on the floor under his presence? And, and God said, no, the season has changed. You have changed. So my ministering to you has changed. See, it would be a grave foolishness for us to ever judge the way Holy Spirit encounters an individual. It's very counterproductive to revival to judge the way that Holy Spirit ministers to anyone. One person may jump up and down and shout and holler, and another person may sit in their seat quietly, staring straight ahead or with their eyes closed. It is not our place to judge how God encounters anyone. Um, the, the people, this is the way that God showed it to me. People that do go down or lay on the floor in the presence of the Holy Spirit, when you have surgery, they give you anesthesia and you're put out. 
what happens to someone who is out during that period of time is like what happens during surgery. A surgeon can go in. The Bible tells us that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And the word, God's spirit goes in and he does a surgery on a person's heart while they're down. And God can do in a matter of seconds what it would take that person years to accomplish through counseling or on their own. It's amazing. It's beautiful. But that's just the way he explained it to me because I was asking him, how come, how come you do that? And it was, that was just the way he explained it to me was he's, I'm doing surgery on their heart. So I put them under Holy Ghost anesthesia so I can do surgery on their heart. Okay. See, that made sense to me. Another, another beautiful experience that we had was we were at a meeting in Tulsa, Oklahoma at Rama. Is that, and at the, what's the big building called that we were in? The big building at Rama. <laughs> if you go there, tell them I'm looking for the big building. <laughs> anyway, we went. We had heard there was a meeting there, and we went. And uh, a gentleman named Kenneth Hagen was speaking. He is the founder of Rama Bible College and uh, one of the great, great forefathers of our faith. And he was preaching that night. And he was—I don't know how old he was, but he's old. And he would, he would walk across the stage and shuffle his feet like this while he's preaching. And he would speak word for word, quote, the King James translation of verses. Like whole chapters. It was amazing. But while we were sitting, the building was full. And we were sitting in the balcony. And we could see, we were in the front of the balcony. We could see all of the people on the lower level. But at one point in the meeting, the building started to rumble. Like it sounded like there was thunder outside, like a huge thunderstorm, but you knew it wasn't thunder. And what was amazing is this building felt like it began to shake. And it was just God saying, I'm here. It was just the presence of God. It was, wow. We looked at each other and we said, did you feel that? Yeah, I feel that. And it was, it was like, we're in the balcony. Is this, are you feeling this shaking? Yeah. It was wild. A few years ago, we got to go to Voice of the Apostles down in Orlando, Florida with literally thousands of people in in an auditorium that held 10,000 people from all over the world. And we got to be in the room with people who, phenomenal ministers of faith have seen some amazing things through their ministries. And the first night of the conference, we were in the auditorium. I don't know how far back we were, but a man named Reinhard Bonnke was preaching. I couldn't really see his facial features because he was so far away in the auditorium and they had big screens Uh, so that you could see him. But I remember thinking, I just want to look at him with my eyes. I want to see him in person because he was so powerful. And the spirit of God in him was just beautiful. I didn't want to watch him on a TV screen like I had seen him on television many times. I got to be in the room with a man who has seen millions of people get saved, led millions of people to the Lord and seen miracles in his ministry. And I, 
There was something about my eyes being on him physically. I wanted my eyes to see him. Getting to be in the room with Heidi Baker when people are laid, thousands from all over the world laid on the floor, like on top of each other. We were not concerned about social distancing back then. <laughs> we were just wiped out with God. As, as Heidi Baker puts it, we were wrecked. We got wrecked with God. See, God does things that are beyond our explanation, but he takes what you might think is insignificant and very small. And all it takes is one heart that is yielded to the seed and stewarding that seed and lifting it to God and saying, God, I don't know what you're doing and I don't know what it is, but I'm just willing to give you my heart. That is the spark that starts a revival. It's one heart. It's that, it's that one moment. It's, it, it, it's a revival moment where you feel something, you sense something on the inside of you that's different. You're not even, sometimes I've been in places where I've thought, I'm not really sure, but I think that that is God. I remember the first time I felt, and the way I explain is it feels like little white butterflies in my stomach. And Darren says, how do you know they're white? And I say, in Lynette land, they're white. <laughs> These little white butterflies in my stomach. And it, and it kind of feels like if I don't move or do something, it feels like my belly button is just going to like explode. I don't know how he speaks to you, how he moves to you, but it's that seed, that, that stirring inside is the seed. And it maybe it's a little voice that you're hearing. Maybe it's something that you're sensing. Maybe it's a physical sensing. Maybe it's an emotional something. Like I said, for, um, um, uh, and I still do, I weep. Oftentimes in the presence of the Lord, all I can do is just weep because he's so good. Because his presence is so beautiful that all you can do is just weep in his goodness. It's just overwhelming. <laughs> Towards the end of Acts chapter 2, after this great outpouring happens, Peter stands and he begins to preach. It's the first message that was preached after Jesus ascended into heaven. And what's so beautiful about that is Peter was the one who denied him three times. Peter was the one who stood and said, I don't know him. And who would God choose to speak through to the thousands that day? But Peter, why? Because he knew Peter's heart needed that. And out of all of the times that you've said no, all it takes is one yes. And that morning or that day, Peter stood and he began to explain to the thousands of people that were gathered together there, this is what is happening. And he preached Jesus. He told them about the one who had died because he loved them so much. He told them about the newness of life that could come to them. He told them that there will be people who don't like it. He told them there will be people who come against you. There will be people who say that this isn't God. But Peter, having experienced 
the forgiveness and the filling of the Holy Spirit could deny it. And he stood and he told them about Jesus. And at the end, what he says to them in Acts chapter 2, in verse 38, he says, Then Peter said to them, Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive. See, that's the beauty. You repent and you receive. He doesn't care what you're giving to him. He doesn't care where you've been. He doesn't care how long you've been running. He just simply says, repent and receive. And what do you receive? Peter goes on, he says, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all, to all who are far off and as many as the Lord will call. Say that all, all, All. the Holy Spirit isn't for special people. The Holy Spirit isn't just for a select few that God says, well, I love them a little more. You get the scraps. That is not the way the kingdom operates. That is not our God. He says the Holy Spirit is for all. Is there anyone in this room that is not all? Is there anyone? That God would not say, my whole heart is just to be so close to you. It's not good enough to God that he sits next to you. (laughs) He wants to abide in you. And see, it's, it's not enough. It's, I'm just telling you this, it's not enough that you just read and know about God. It would not be the same for you to read a recipe of how to make bread and expect to be filled. You have to take in the bread of life to be filled. If you see a homeless person who is starving and hungry and you hand them a recipe card, it does nothing for them. It might make them mad. (laughs) And it is the same for every believer. And that is why today... If you go to a restaurant, they don't give you a menu and then take the menu away and say, that'll be $34. Will you read the menu? I want to, I want to experience the burrito. (laughs) I'm I'm going to need to taste that because he says, so taste, see the Lord is good. So today, I do not want to give you a recipe card. Today, I just simply want to offer you the Holy Spirit. He's so good. He's so good. So for every person in this room, that you're tired of just reading the recipe or maybe you, maybe you've never been told before. <laughs> I spent years not being told. I was kind of mad when I found out about it. I'm like, how come nobody told me about this before? <laughs> or 
just right now where you sit. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. He's in you. (laughs) If you have said, Jesus, you are my Lord. And if you need to say that out loud right now, if you've never said it before, we settled that at the beginning of service because I knew today I didn't want you just to have the recipe card. Today I want you to have the experience of the beautiful sweetness of the bread of life. Holy Spirit, come. Today, if you would like to be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, the encouragement, the empowerment, the power of the Holy Spirit, just right now, just tell him that, Holy Spirit, fill me, fill me. Fill them, Father, in the name of Jesus. Fill them in the name of Jesus. If you want to come and I lay hands on you right here for you to be filled, if you feel that that impartation, there is an impartation of the Holy Spirit, if you want that, come up right now. Just come right now. Yes. Power. Everybody in your seats right now, if you would just close your eyes. And just take a deep breath. Holy Spirit, fire. Burn out any depression. Burn out fear. Burn out those that are having a fear of man. The concern of what other people will think of you, the, the, the perfectionism. Oh, we're just going to burn out perfectionism right now in Jesus' name. No more performance. You don't have to perform. God's not asking anyone to perform. He's just saying, I just want your heart. <laughs> so right where you're sitting, just say, if any of those things, anything that weighs on you, anything that's heavy to you, say, I just don't agree with that anymore in my life. I don't agree with that in my life. I agree with his love. And in the name of Jesus, agree with who your heavenly father says you are. (laughs) Not who anybody else says you are. Not even the conversations in the mirror. And I want you to say this in yourself. Whisper it to yourself if you like. Say, I am who my father says I am. I am so loved. I am so loved. Holy Spirit, just wash love over them right now. Just pour out your love. Because <laughs> you're so good. Pour out your love. Just pour out your love. In Jesus' name. Take a deep breath and just breathe in his love. Love never fails. No matter what the challenge is, no matter what the season is, some of you have family and friends, maybe your homes, your homes on fire. Love never fails. There's nothing too big for God. Physical healing, there's nothing too big for God. Oh, he's so good. He's so good. He just loves to love you. He loves to love you. He loves to love you. 
I don't really honestly know how to land this plane right now. Darren, do you know? I don't know what to do. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that you're just so good. You're just so good. Oh, my God, thank you. He wants you to have your own story to tell. He wants you to have a story of his goodness and how he's overwhelmed you. <laughs> I'm not saying you've got to go to work and tell your boss, hey! <laughs> but there will be someone that comes across your path that will need to hear your story of how Holy Spirit is just so good to you. And how much he loves you. Father, thank you. So, we're going to dismiss here in a minute. (laughs) When you get your kids, I want you to put your hand on them and tell them how much God loves them. And that they have the Holy Spirit Spirit on the inside of them. And as a mom and a dad, you blow on that Holy Spirit. You tell them that you're so loved. You are so loved. In Jesus' name. <laughs>